Hi, I'm Simon Drew, and you're listening to the Practical Stoic Podcast. If you'd like to find more episodes of the show, as well as articles and information about my one-on-one alignment coaching, then you can head to my website. It's simonjedrew.com. If you do have the means to support the show, then I'd love to see you in my Patreon community. Just go to patreon.com forward slash simonjedrew, where you'll also get access to over 240 episodes recorded before 2020. But for now, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me here on the Practical Stoic Podcast. Now, I just want to start today by saying I'm so sorry that I've kind of taken it back to one episode per week on the podcast. Uh, The reason that I'm doing that is because at the moment I am finishing my degree uh, in music. So uh, basically for the next couple of months, uh, it is going to be one episode a week. Uh, so that I can, you know, focus on this and also coaching and also meetups and also uni, uh, staying fit and sane, uh, you know, make sure that uh, there is a certain level of homeostasis maintained. And that means one episode a week for the next few weeks. Uh, but anyway, I hope you've enjo- been enjoying the episodes anyway, uh, the wonderful guests that I've had on the show. Um, and today is absolutely no different. We have a repeat guest who is a good friend and somebody who I absolutely love talking to because he he really uh, does embody what it means to live uh, a philosophical life. And, and this person is Pete Bell. Now, you've all heard him on the show before, and today we're specifically talking about his new book that he has released, his very first book that he's ever written that he wrote this year called Stepping Out the Other Side. And uh, I was really honored that Pete actually asked me to write the forward to the book. And so I've had the chance to actually read the book. And it's, it's really hard to kind of sufficiently convey the value, the worth of, of, of what Pete is bringing to the world in this book that he's written. Because it's just such a, a, a raw and authentic look inside the mind of Pete while he was going through some of the most challenging times in his life dealing with mental health. Uh, and, and you know, just, just such a, a beautiful message of hope for anyone who is going through, uh, you know, problems with mental health uh, or depression, um, you know, thoughts of suicide. You know, this kind of book is, is a story for those kinds of people who are wondering, you know, how do I get through this? How do I, how do I actually move on with my life? And, and you know, what, what you're reading in this book, Stepping Out the Other Side, is an account of somebody who was able to do that, who was able to you know, step out the other side of those dark moments in his life. And so I'm so grateful that, you know, Pete wrote this book. I'm so grateful that he, you know, even offered to to have me play a very small part in, you know, writing the forward, of course. And and I'm really grateful to have him on the show today as well. And, you know, before before we jump straight into it, I do have a quick little message that I do want to read that Pete suggested would be helpful in this kind of discussion. So uh, please note that the following discussion does make reference to mental illness and suicide. The discussion does not substitute medical advice or professional health support. Please seek help from a health professional immediately if you have any concerns regarding your own mental well-being. This message is so critical 
especially giving, sorry, given the ongoing challenges of COVID-19. Uh, please take care of yourselves and each other. Asking for help is a sign of courage. And finally, I just wanted to let you know that if you do want to purchase uh, Pete's book, uh, you can find a link in the show notes where you can go to his website. He's currently publishing it. And so you can actually put in your email and get updates for when you can purchase it. And hey, if you're listening to this when it's out, then you can purchase it straight from there, hopefully. So uh, without any further ado, I'd like to present this interview with Pete Bell. Okay, so Pete... Mate, it's so good to be speaking with you again. Um, you know, I got a lot of really great feedback from people after I had you on the show last time. And um, obviously, because you're just such a genuine person, um, you know, you're so authentic when it comes to speaking about your trials and tribulations that you've been through in your life. Um, and you've had no shortage. And, and you know, what we're doing today is obviously talking about the book that you just recently wrote out the other side. Um, sorry, stepping out the other side. Uh, and, uh, man, I'm so proud of the effort that you put in, um, you know, because it's just, it's, it's, it was a beautiful book. Um, I'm honored that you got me to write the forward for it. Um, you know, you're a beautiful person and you're telling a beautiful story. I mean, it's, it's a story of, uh, I know you don't like this phrase, but I'm going to use it anyway. It is a story of heroism. You know, it is because, uh, you know, it's, it's a story of your life. Uh, going from the darkest moments of your life, um, dealing with, uh, you know, mental health issues or, or brain health issues, as you would put it, um, you know, to stepping out the other side, as you call the book. And, 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 you know, now you're here, do you feel like you've stepped out the other side now? Do you feel like you're at that moment where you can kind of look back on all of this and, and say, you know, it, it was not that it was worth it, but you know, <laughs> it, it, it's there and I'm, I'm here now. Yeah, I definitely. And firstly, thank you for for your kind words, and also the magnificent thought in the book. I couldn't have thought of a better person to, to contribute in that regard. So, thank you very much once again. Uh, and great to be here and talking talking to yourself and, and your, your um, followers. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's very it's actually a really awesome question. First up, that that plays into the conversation around mental illness, and I suppose how I personally uh, view um, what I call a battle. Uh, a lot of people often will say that they suffer through mental illness or mental health challenges. I guess I've made a framing decision to say that I'm, I'm going to take this on head on and I'm not just going to sit back and let it control my life and run away from my story and those sort of things. I'm, I'm going to confront this in the mirror head first. I'm, I'm going to have a battle with it. So do I feel like I've stepped out the other side? Yeah, definitely in some regards. And, you know, throughout the book, it really is a memoir through a period of time that starts with me in a hospital through to, I guess, where I am almost today in the current environment. And, you know, like everyone in the world, having a look at the, the challenges associated with coronavirus, which we'll, we'll talk about in more detail. Um, I guess, and as, as, as it's covered in the book, taking responsibility now for my mental illness and integrating it into my life, it's almost irresponsible to say I've won the battle because the battle actually never ends. Um, there's a responsibility to maintain, you know, a series of, of um, behaviours and activities and disciplines and that must just simply never end. So 
I know I'm a bit of a complex character and we like to have our philosophical conversations for obvious reasons, but um, yeah, I've got an untroubled mind at the moment, which says to me that, you know, I have stepped out the other side, but the reality is that untroubled mind only exists because I'm putting in place all the right one percenters, I guess, and a disciplined approach to manage my mental illness. So yeah, I feel like definitely in a really good place. Um, but not um, not under the, the fallacy of the mind that the next battle or trench or whatever it is is always just around the corner if, if you don't don't manage appropriately what you need to. Mm. Yeah, and and I want to I want to jump into that a little bit uh, probably later on in the interview as well because I, I want to talk about you know, uh, you're extremely authentic in your approach. You're not going to hide anything from anyone because you know that you've been through it. You know that you've done the best by yourself and, and, you know, you know that the, the best is yet to come. And so I want to talk about, you know, the darkest moments. I want to talk about, you know, the journey through it. And I want to talk about, um, you know, dealing with that constant looming, you might call it a, a fear or a threat, whatever it is that it's going to come back again, or, you know, that, that you're going to have a relapse. And I want to talk about all that stuff, but I, I guess I want to start by saying uh, why now for the book, you know, like, I, I mean, obviously, you know, we all had a little bit of extra time on our hands, maybe with the, the whole COVID situation coming along. Um, but, uh, but what was the real motivation for you? Uh, to, to write this book now? Yeah, it's another, another awesome question. The real motivation is to get the story on the paper to help others. I guess, you know, you and I have spoken a number of times about my journey and every time there's a similar theme, which is I never thought I would talk to anyone about my mental illness and then I never thought I would do a podcast. I never thought I would tell anyone I went to hospital. I definitely never thought I would write a book, right? Or if I did, it wouldn't be until a later point of life, perhaps where I thought falsely that I had less to lose, right? When I would be prepared to be more vulnerable. Um, the timing is right now because, you know, when you boil it down to its core purpose, which is to, to help as many people as possible so that they have something they can look at in the future that might just give them, you know, some, some guiding light. It's not covered in specific detail in the book, but the prologue of the book is really me in hospital going, oh, I wish I could find a relatable story. Uh, you know, you can find multiple stories of people who have battled through adversity, but usually they've got some form of, a, I guess, a, a famous um, person, and sometimes I just personally find I can't relate to that story as such because you know, I'm as normal as they come. So I kind of wrote this book thinking if someone is ever in that position as I was, I would like to think that they can find something that can just give them a glimmer of hope to hang in there and step out the other side. The other thing is uh, suicide is prevalent in our society now. And um, I guess more and more I was just having conversations with people who said, oh, I was just at a funeral the other day, um, a friend of ours, you know, a child took their own lives or I can see famous people everywhere taking their own lives. And then when coronavirus hit, yeah, it was obviously, you know, the, the classic quote of, I don't know, it was Churchill or someone that said never, never let a good crisis go to waste. So I looked at it from that regard and said, yeah, the have obviously got some more time now to write the book. But I was also probably uh, 
subconsciously or intuitively aware that if this drags on, that concept of people being in, you know, challenging mental health space and, and suicide may actually increase. So I never actually definitively, I suppose, answered that question until now. That's why it's a great question. But definitely was prepared to put my own vulnerability or potential loss of ego, whatever you want to call it aside, just to get this thing out there and help people. Um, and never really thought about it, but I guess the timing just enabled me to find the courage and do that without, you know, thinking what's it going, what, how's it going to impact other people? You know, that are they going to be upset with me, or what are they going to think about me if I write this down? You know, it's it's raw. Um, that's the universal feedback from a lot of people who have read it, and I like to say it's a it's a brutal and beautiful story, and that's life. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You know better than anyone from all, all the great work you do. Things can't always be be good. That's just the universal truth of the world. So yeah, yeah, and, and that's that's really what I love about this book is that um, you know it is a story of hope, but you definitely don't shy away from telling the very nitty gritty, horrifying moments of your life where you know it could have gone it could have gotten even worse, way worse, you, you know, in a second. And, and you talk about those moments where, um, you know, maybe even things couldn't have been worse for you. It was just, it was just, there, there's nothing to it other than it was just tragedy for you. Um, and, you know, I think that, uh, I think that for a lot of us who would think about reading a book like this, you know, obviously it is for the person who, needs an example of somebody who's been through something like that, what they're going through. But also I think it's helpful for people like myself to read stories like this so that I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, unaware of the mental struggles that so many people go through that I don't go through. And, you know, when you read such an authentic account of um, dealing with a mental illness or brain illness, you know, it's like, um, man, it really puts things into perspective how, how grateful we should all be um, if we don't have to go through something like that, you know, and, and how supportive you should be of people in your life who are going through something like that. So, you know, talk, talk to me about, you know, you, know, you even talk about um, moments in there where you're kind of even on suicide watch going in and out of hospital and, you know, what's it like? Uh, to the best of your abilities to describe that. I know you do it in the book, but um, try and describe that for somebody who doesn't deal with a mental illness so that they can understand uh, even just partially what it's kind of like to be in that kind of state. Yeah, the only way I can probably describe it from a logical perspective, because it's an illogical thought, right, um, is that the world or the people around you or the ones that you care about most will simply be better off if you're not here. Uh, that's one thing that I, I um, probably find like fairly easily to relate to people. Um, the other component for me is I often wanted to kill my broken mind, but I guess I was always blessed enough to be able to say but I don't want my physical uh, presence, being, soul, whatever it may be, to disappear as well. And at the end of the day, I think that was really what 
what saved me. I still had an irrational, a rational ability to say, um, you just, you, you've got a broken mind. Just, just hang in there. Don't, don't let it win. Don't give in to it. Um, and you know, for whatever reasons, blessed beyond words, that um, I didn't give in. Um, Mm. And but yeah, you're you're in you're in the darkest place where you've just convinced yourself that despite any what anyone else has said to you, what anyone else has done, you've convinced yourself that the world would be a better place if if you're not here. And that brings all sorts of, as you can imagine, terrible um, feelings. Mm. Yeah, of course. And you know, like I say, it's just it's. I think that it's something that you know we. we many people can probably relate to even just on a tiny level of just saying, you know, like, you know, we all go through times in our life where things are pretty dark. You know, we all have times where we have thoughts that, you know, like you say, even though they're kind of not very rational, it's kind of like they come up there and you start, you start going down all possible uh, avenues. Um, is it almost as if the antidote to that kind of feeling of, you know, the world and my family would be better off without me is, is, is one of the antidotes almost to live your life as if, uh, you know, you could be of service to the people around you, to, to, to the world, to, you know, to actually contribute in a bigger way. Massively. And very much all covered in the book. A lot of conversations I, I have with people is the only surefire thing I know that helps pull me out of the, the black hole when I get there is to make it about a bigger cause than myself. So through the cause of the book, when I talk about, you know, I had to really just make, there's a, there's a classic quote in there, I think in the book, I think it's by Pythagoras, like the, the, most, the oldest and you know, most powerful words are yes and no, right? And mm. that's what it kind of came down to with me. Do, do you choose life again after everything that's happened? Well, I made a decision. Yes, I did. And I chose life again. And then from, from there, it's kind of like, well, what do you want uh, that, that life to be from here? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. And I, I'd love to ask as well. Uh, so if you were to do sort of like, some sort of, whether it's 80, 20 analysis, something like that, you know, of all the things that have really helped you to, um, to, I guess, manage, uh, your mental illness, you know, like what, what would you say are some of the most helpful things, whether it's people in your life, whether it's, uh, disciplines, whether it's, um, learning to accept things, whatever it is, what, what are some of those for somebody out there who's really struggling right now? You know, what, what, yeah. what do you have for them? And I guess it's in the book as well, but, you know, yeah. Yeah, and there's quite the five main insights that are in the book, and that's the one we just briefly touched on there, which is number one is acquire a broader lens, make it about something bigger than yourself. You know, when I made that decision, yes, uh, to continue to fight and live again, uh, the decision was made on doing it, you know, initially for my wife and my daughter. Right, so that's that kind of make it bigger about yourself. Um, there's examples in there where, as soon as I got healthy enough to a point, I drove to the local Mingles on Wheels because I just knew that I needed to start giving back to others, almost like mm. a servant pace leadership mentality, for want of a better word. That's really important. My return to the same workplace where I was when, when I uh, had the breakdown, you know, I had to swallow all sorts of types of. Um, 
inner conversations and ego and, and all those sort of things to do that. But it was the right decision. And not just for me and my family, it was the right decision for others because, you know, it's very hard to sit there and see someone that you care about that you work with be there one minute and next minute gone. Um, and I didn't want anyone to feel any form of blame for that because no one could have seen it coming. I didn't, I didn't see it coming, so how could have anyone else if that makes sense? So empathy is critical. You know, be able to see it from a bigger perspective outside of your out, uh, outside of yourself is a good a good first step. Now you can't always be there when you are purely locked in the battle internally. Um, one of the things I'll, I'm not sure I'll ever fully come to peace with about my you know, mental illness is that when I'm in those you know, darker spots, it's quite quite selfish if that makes sense because you can only be self-focused. You just have to get yourself through and you don't have a lot of time for anything else. There was a person that prides themselves on giving to others and being empathetic. I find that very hard to reconcile. Um, and maybe it is just because, you know, I understand that there will be periods in my life when I have to go into that space that I look to overcompensate when I am healthy. But I know that as soon as you get that element of right, I'm okay. I'm not going to do anything silly. Uh, yeah, to make it a, to make it a, a, a bigger cause to something else is very important. Um, shadow integration is point two, which I think we covered a fair bit now. Our last conversation. Um, own all of yourself. Be, be proud of you know the duality of all of us. You know, we've all got we've all got good. We've all got potential to be bad. Um, you know, and yeah. You know, don't don't run away from that because you know so much unnecessary baggage goes with you and you spend your whole life, you know, trying to reinforce a story that you think is right about yourself that may not necessarily be in your best interest. Um, you know, the third thing is sort of, you know, beliefs can change. I think values stay fairly fixed, but your beliefs can change. And I learned, I guess, a lot of that about from cognitive behavioural therapy and that's why my, my interest in stoicism ramped up because there are some strong linkages in that regard. Um, you know, start thinking new thoughts. I'm not a, I've never studied science, I don't know that much about neuroplasticity, but there's certainly enough evidence to say that if, if you want to rewire your beliefs, uh, you certainly can. So things that helped me there, I guess, was now, obviously, I've got to be medicated now for a mental illness. Once upon a time, I took sort of a pig-headed approach of, oh, I don't need tablets, you know, I'll just manage, you know, by having a, a, a better diet and exercising more and not drinking. And look, all those things are absolutely critical for mental health and 100% of people have to manage their mental health. When you're talking about a, a mental illness, it's just a little bit deeper. So you can you know, do everything that all of us should do to have um, a, a great mental state and mental well-being and mental illness can still catch you. So I've had to rewind my beliefs around, you know, taking tablets every day, um, what my legacy looks like now. So, you know, my legacy is simply to stay on this earth and, and manage my mental illness as best as possible. Mm. That's the best legacy I can leave for my family. And if it's in the best interest of my family, it's in the best interest of me. Um, the fourth one's the fallacy of control, which you know, you know is classic stoic way of thinking. Uh, 
geez, there was a lot of things outside of my control that I spent a lot of time worrying about. Yeah. Um, and for no great benefit. And, you know, this coronavirus time, as I was saying earlier, my phone's been ringing quite a bit lately just with people saying, and these can be people of a variety of ages. Some of them are seven years old, you know, really, really hard, or society's perception of hard men that have run their own business. And they're like, I don't know what to do at this moment. I've never, I've never experienced this. And the conversation I have is, as best as possible, create your version of certainty and create what you can control. You know, you can't control what they're going to put on the news every night. You can't control the spread of coronavirus in, in Victoria. And it's an extremely sad set of circumstances down there at the moment. But your ability to wake up every day, whether it be for the first hour of the day, you know, you lift some weights or you go and do your walk outside. Or There's, a, there's also a famous quote from Francis of Assisi, which goes along the lines of, you know, First, do what is a necessity, then do what you can. And before you know it, you'll actually be back doing the impossible. And I mm. kind of look at that a lot with my breakdown slash breakthrough because a lot of people, whilst they're not at the point of a breakdown, they are looking for a breakthrough, whether they're at an existential crisis or whatever they're doing at this given moment. It's just not quite working for them. It's like, well, yeah, what, what do you want to do? What can you control? and start doing it, but, but do it with a renewed belief that that is actually your purpose. So, you know, through this coronavirus period, your purpose might be very different to what it was previously when this virus wasn't here. But you've got to adapt to that new purpose and you've got to commit to it and you've got to do it, you know, even if you just say hour by hour, I do, it, I do these commitments and then put them day after day after day and before you know it, you'll be back because your self-confidence will be back. You'll be feeling better. Now, you boil it down to basics. That's how I went from a bed in hospital to releasing a book in, I don't know, not even a year and a half. Because once I made that decision to commit to life, it was almost intuitively I knew I just had to do, start doing one percenters again. You can't run before you can well walk before you can run, and you've got to crawl before you, you can walk. It's kind of that thinking, right? Just go yeah. and do what you've got to do, do what's a necessity um, to get through, embrace it as a purpose, commit to it. Don't don't think about it, just do it. Hmm. So that was a big one. And then the fifth one's gratitude. Uh, that's, um, yeah, I can't, I can't speak highly enough of gratitude. Once again, I'm no scientist, but I'm sure there's enough scientific evidence to suggest that the power of the brain and if you think about all the great things you've got, uh, it, it can only have great impacts for you. And, you know, once again, getting back to that purpose thing in this environment, don't think of it like what, what you can't do now, right? Think about what you can still do. Whether you're mm. about an hour's walk a day, make that your highlight of the day, and, and, you know, show it the uh, the love and gratitude that it deserves because not everyone gets that opportunity still. Yeah. So that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> Man, there's so much so much good stuff in there. Hey, and 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 you know that that's not only good stuff for anyone who's going through uh, mental illness, it's good stuff for everybody. Um there's a couple of things that I want to touch on there as well. I think uh you know Firstly, just to mention that it's, it's so surprising to me. It's actually surprising to me that 
this idea of the dichotomy of control has had such a massive resurgence in, you know, latter years. Cause I mean, it's like the most simple solution to so many problems. It's, it's the simplest possible thing you could think of. Oh, control what you can forget about the rest. And it's like, Oh gosh. Okay. Well, why did nobody tell me that? Or why did I not already just assume that, you know, it's really, um, it's really quite amazing. But, uh, some, something that you mentioned earlier, um, talking about, uh, you know, being the kind of person who's always looking after other people and kind of in the process, neglecting yourself, um, and needing to relearn how to, um, how to really take care of yourself. Do you, you know, I, I think that there's all kinds of, um, uh, you know, different pressures that are placed on different people. I mean, for example, you as, you know, say the breadwinner of the family, I mean, like it must've been really hard, really difficult to stop and actually say, okay, I know I'm supposed to be taking care of my family. I know I'm supposed to be, you know, work and all these other pressures and everything, but I actually need to take care of myself. Do you think that the, there's that extra pressure there? Um, and, and if so, how did, how did you deal with that extra pressure to, to always be taking care of other people? Yeah, once again, awesome question. Um, probably just have to un, unpack that a little bit. I, uh, I kind of didn't have a choice. You know? I mean, everyone's got a choice. It comes back to that yes or no. And that's you know, at a very, very deep level question. But when I came, you know, when, when you have a breakdown, um, in some ways it's almost easier to fight back, if that makes sense, because there is no, there's very little expectation of others and very little expectation of yourself. Okay. Um, in a lot of ways, it's all upside. Probably much harder when you don't have the breakdown and you try and transition from, you know, someone who's got all these expectations on themselves or society's expectations or, or whatever they are to transition to a more balanced life or, or whatever it looks like or to change their career, etc. So, and I, and, and I may be underplaying what I've been through a little bit. I found that that personal almost intuitive as i said i kind of once once i swallowed the really bitter pill of my identity being taken away from me because my career was my identity that was that was the one thing i could hand my heart say i was good at um, i've never been someone that has a massive amount of self-confidence i'm on the downside of that um yeah but i i, I would certainly say that that's you know, that's what made me the person that I was. Now, when that was ripped away, yeah, that was that was pretty brutal to then sort of go, well, everything I thought I was, I made in the ground. But then you sort of start to rewire a few of those beliefs and say, well, you're actually, you know, a parent and a husband and a person. And there's all these other, these other great reasons why your existence on this earth is still required. Um, you can go and get another job at some point, provided you're mentally well again and all those sort of things. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if that answers the question, but you know, I, I think there is a another interesting point around is, you know, you ask a lot of people, oh, if you first meet someone, so what do you do? Is often the first question, as opposed mm -hmm. to, so, you know, 
where did you grow up or what's your cultural background or all these more probably important questions to understand mm. why swimming is the way they are as opposed to what they just do for a living. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but it, it all it was all in the mix, you know, it all played into, you know, I, mean, I was blessed, my wife would work full time in the place where she worked, we were very supportive, um, and I was blessed at the place I worked when I broke down, welcoming me back two days a week in a, in a less of stress role. Now, if those things didn't happen, I wouldn't be the person I am today, and I wouldn't be in the position I'm in, so I'm extremely grateful for that. Um, but yeah, others, it is a it is a, a big consideration. Absolutely, it is. Mm. Yeah, talk talk to me more about um, the influence of people because I know that you talk in the book about you know how grateful you were for your wife, Emma, and and I know how much you love her. Um, you know, just grateful for the support that she offered. Um, you know, what? Firstly, just how important it is it to to have a support network around you of good people and. And also for people who are acting as that support network for somebody with mental health, what can they do? Uh, you know, what can they do to better support them in their journey? Yeah. Um, in terms of others who, who, who are supporting, um, this might sound a little bit of a complex answer, but sometimes there isn't actually that much you can do except just be there. When the battle gets real deep and real dark, and it's just, it's a one on one hand to hand combat with yourself, a day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour proposition, you kind of just need to know that others aren't going to abandon you because of your mental illness or what you're going through. Now, what they say to you, like, oh, you know, they can say, oh, you know, you're great, hang in there. You know, you've got so much to live for, all those things. It may not necessarily help that much. Um, I've always found for me personally, the greatest help is simply for people to say, I just need you to know I'm here. I'm not going mm. to pressure you. I'm not going to have expectations of you. I'm here if you need me, but I'm just going to give you space and time to work through it. And when you come out the other side, I will be here for you. Now that is just the most amazing, I guess, support you can have. Um, the hardest thing is definitely silence uh, because that plays in your headspace again. It's kind of like, oh, they, they, they must think I'm weak or they must think I'm a failure or they must whatever. It's all in your own head. Very rarely are the other people on the other side silent because they want to convey that message to you. They're silent because they simply don't know what to say. And once again, unless you've been through it yourself or, or you're fairly well versed at you know, taking people through this journey, you won't know. You won't know what to say, you know, which is why my guidance is always just say that you care, put your here, I'll be here when things get better. I just want you to know that. That's mm. probably the second. So what was the first part again, mate? Sort of more about my wife and... Yeah, I what, think just talking about the importance of having that support network around you. Yeah. Absolutely critical. And in the book, um, I was blessed that uh, Professor Patrick McGorry read my book. He was Australian of the Year in 2010, psychiatrist. And he writes some really pertinent points um, in the in the phase section for the book. And 
you know, I couldn't I couldn't be more positive enough about you know, the medical support I received or the support network that's around me. Um, in a lot of times, they become my eyes and ears for things that I potentially am not seeing when I get unwell or I drift back into old patterns. Another lesson I learned the hard way was I would always be reactive or band-aid. So, oh, hang on, I can sort of start to feel that I'm getting a bit down better than I see my psychologist. Um, but then you become a master bullshitter as well. So you start to you know, be able to bullshit yourself. You can, you can bullshit someone else and say the right thing. So you kind of need a consistent support network around you that's going to call you on your own shit when it comes. Now, I don't mean that you're on shit in a, in a negative way that you're deliberately doing it, but when you're unwell, there can be things going on <laughs> you're simply not aware of, but other professionals train people to pick up. Um, I think also the acceptance that, you know, my wife is, is my wife and that's the relationship we have. She's not a trained medical professional. So that's something else I had to take a lot of responsibility around that, you know, I, I need to go to the right people to do the right job. And I don't want to be any more of a, well, it's not the right word, but you know, my, my wife is, got her own life to live and we've got a life to live together in a family. She doesn't want to be my roving psychologist and nor do I want her to be that either. It's not fair on mm-hmm. her. So I think taking responsibility and getting the right support network around you is just it's critical. Um, there's so many one percenters that you kind of need to tip off to give yourself the best chance. And then you still you still may fall, right? But when you fall, um, you know I like to think that your resilience is higher because of what well, you know, the fall you've been through previously. So your recovery should should shorten or you should avoid it. You know? My ultimate goal now is to avoid another breakdown. It's, um, I've got a little balanced life and do everything I can now. If it still turns up, you know, I can't control it. And I'm not mm. going to beat myself up over that, but I'm going to make sure that I give it more than a fighter's chance to make sure that we get through as best as possible. Yeah. Yeah, man. I appreciate you sharing all of this. This is just, there's so much good advice in there for people who are, you know, both supporting and who are actually going through this sort of stuff. And, um, the book is just beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful because it's, it's just so, uh, so raw and such a perfect uh, representation of exactly what you went through and it really puts you in that, you know, kind of, it, it gives you a really good picture of what it's kind of like to go through that. Not that we can get even close to understanding what it's like to go through that, but, um, you know, Pete, thank you so much for, for writing it. Um, how can people, how, how can people get it? Um, I'm going to put all the links in the show notes and everything like that, but where, where would you like people to go? Yeah, uh, my website, um, www.marillius.com.au forward slash stepping, and you can register your details there. The book's finished now. Um, it's about to start its first print run, so I guess you're pre-registering, and then I'll let you know when it's finished. Um, and then, yeah, you can you can make a purchase. Um, it's also I uh, just two little things I'd also like to say is my wife Please. has contributed in the book, um, and it's a really beautiful part of the story which gives a partner's perspective and i also didn't want to write i wanted it to be a positive book if that makes sense and a book that can help people 
and uh, that's something Pat McGorry says as well. Like it's, um, you know, it, it, it's it's an, it, it's brutal, but it's also uplifting in the end. So if you start the book and think, hey, wow, this is like landed like a punch in the face, it does get better. I promise you. So personally, but but by my wife contributing, it just gives a different perspective, and I. I can't tip my hat enough or pay enough respect and homage to people who support others who go through uh, mental illnesses because, you know, it's hard enough to understand when it's happening in your head and that's why I'm always very empathetic to others who don't always get the support side right because, you know, it's very difficult. Someone's got a broken leg, it's, it's, you know, from a, from a medical perspective, there's a fairly solid set of rules of how you fix a broken leg. Someone has a what's called a broken brain for all intents and purposes and mental illness. Um, there's a lot of trial and error, and you can't see it. And uh, people typically are most afraid of fear, or, uh, don't understand what they can't see. That, that makes perfect sense. So there is a lot of focus mm-hmm. in the book about the support um, side of things, and also the an acknowledgement that um, you know. I mean, we, we all we all have challenges. Uh, it's it's a universal um, concept of being human. So, um, you know, if you reround my life back and said, do you do you choose to have a mental illness or not? I choose it. I absolutely would, because it makes me who I am. And you know, the stories. You know, if in ten years' time, and I guess I, if I was to say I have a dream and a goal, it would be that I wouldn't need to write a story like this. Because it's so prevalent in society and it's becoming uh, so much more prevalent with the way the world is going with technology and a few bits and pieces that hopefully we don't have to share these sorts of stories because it's just more accepted. It's accepted like people have diabetes, they have to do what they have to do. People have a mental illness, they have to do what they have to do. And I've been blessed by being vulnerable and hearing a lot of stories from the other side from people who are at that point of their journey yet, and they may never get there. Uh, and that's that's perfectly fine, but that's how I know that this, my story's not that rare, and I don't think it's that special, but I think it's important. It's important at this period of time because we are at a bit of a crossroads, and I think every little bit we can do to, you know, improve the narrative around mental illness, mental health, Suicide, help people, you know, it just has to happen. Um, it's, yeah. it's been a silent killer for too long. So that's yeah. just what I'd like to say in conclusion. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate it. And, and you know, it's, it is, it's such a perfect message. You know, hopefully we don't have to share those stories too often in the future because, you know, it, it is just, there's so much stigma around it, but, um, you know, hopefully through conversations like these, more people, uh, you know, wake up to that fact and, and, um, you know, man, I can't recommend your book highly enough. Uh, you know, you're a beautiful person. It's a beautiful book. Um, and thank you so much for bringing it out to the world. No, I appreciate it. Thank you for your support, mate. I, uh, I could not have been in this position without you and the great work that you do. And yeah, so thank you once again. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practical Stoic Podcast. If you'd like to sign up for email updates, join my Patreon meetup groups that we hold weekly, or if you'd like to offer feedback or suggestions for future guests or topics on the show, then you can head to simonjedrew.com. 
There you'll also find information about how we can work one-on-one -on -one together with my alignment coaching, based around the philosophical principles found in Stoicism. Finally, if you are on Facebook, then I'd love to see you in our group, The Practical Stoic Mastermind. But hey, I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I'll talk to you next time.